Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey now, this is Riverhorse Nakadate, and you're listening to the Impact Outdoors Podcast. Enjoy. Um, I just kept fishing would be my thing like I never wanted to write about it and finally I I was at a bookstore and I saw a copy of Flyfish Journal and I just thought wow this is yeah I'd written for Surfer's Journal and Fretboard Journal the guitar magazine but you know seeing Flyfish Journal I thought okay I'll send this guy's story and they published it right away and called and said what the heck man he just sent more stuff and I said I'm happy to you know, nobody, I feel like at that time, nothing was coming out of Texas as far as a wild tree hugger hippie, long haired bass fishing, you know, wild man in canoes. And they're just like, this is, this is different. But, and, they, and, and I think I've had that benefit in life, just being coming from a different angle than the normal Montana trout guys, which is all, you know, it's valid and wonderful. So, So all those years, I didn't accept anything from any company. And I told Patagonia, hey, let's, I feel like I'm here to do this work for the earth. And I I think we're a match. And they agreed. And so um, I didn't think it would, you know, I didn't know that it would work out. I mean, it's the honor of my life doing that work and with that team. And I think there's like 18 guys in the world that even got to do it. So for them to be as cool and open-minded as you got this wild Texan with hair to his ass that's just going going all that man that was I, that was so cool of those guys to have such an open mind and say no we need you we need you on this group and we're gonna support you 100% and even those films that I've been making they're just they're just all in it's been incredible really powerful to have that support
Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode of Impact Outdoors Podcast, and we are celebrating this show as our 50th episode coming out to you, and we've got River Horse Nakadate on the show this week, and just this episode is jam-packed full of some just amazing, incredible stories from River Horse's background growing up here in Texas, um, and just all the people he's met through his career, surfing, rock and roll, and fly fishing, and and all the incredible work he's doing with Patagonia right now across the world, you know, just an incredible individual making a big impact, definitely a world changer for sure, and so excited to have him on the show this week, so... Once again, this week's 50th episode, River Horse Nakadate. Let's jump right into the show. Man, I am uh, very honored and very, very happy and excited to have my friend River Horse Nakadate on the show today here on Impact Outdoors. And uh, um, looking forward to, to hearing what you've been up to lately, River Horse. How's it going, my friend? Yeah, buddy. Best day ever. I know we were we were talking before we started here about the wind and everything, but um, how's the the fishing been for you here lately? The last couple months this spring. Um, I mean, you know, I'm in those canoes a lot, chasing bass in the spring and hill country lakes and North Texas up near Oklahoma border. So, mm-hmm. um, pretty lights out. Just I think even Easter Sunday morning, I took off at three in the morning and I was out near Brenham and stuck. A bass, a little over eight pounds, and a bunch of oh, wow. fours and fives, all on top water. And so, you know, by 10 in the morning, I just paddled the lake for an hour. Happily, I put the rod away, and I was like, man, I just, let's give these fish a break. I've already had a beautiful day. How many fish do you need? And yeah. just happy to be out there, but I think the fishing's been great. Saltwater, the coast has been tough with all those winds, but that's spring in Texas, and when fall rolls around it'll be gorgeous out there in the flats so it's just part of the gig yeah it's definitely been a a windy year for sure so just thankfully we haven't had to deal with any uh extreme cold freezes and stuff like we had to deal with last year so um that kind of threw us all for a loop because we haven't had one of those in so long and stuff so but um well man um you know you're a uh you are all over the place. You get, you have been able to go all over the world and travel and do all these amazing things and just all the ventures that you've, uh, that you're involved with and stuff. But, um, you know, I kind of want to get back to, to where it all began for you. Um, you know, kind of, I know, I know you're born up in Austin and stuff, but just kind of talk about kind of how your life in the outdoors started, and um you kind of some of the key points you know along the way for you to get to where you're at today yeah happy to um i think there's been two or three just kind of those open doors those life-changing moments and when i was little um i was born in austin and that's where i grew up but my mom i think you're from oklahoma my mom's she's from she lived at sparrowhawk village um out near Tahlequah, and that's the Cherokee head of nations. So my mom's mm-hmm. Cherokee and Scotch-Irish and got some great heritage. And she was a pregnant mom with me, really young, young gal. And she got her uh, GED and got into University of Texas. So she goes over there to Austin, and that's where I'm born. And, I mean, we come up, I'm on food stamps and 
welfare and doesn't stop her. She's, she gets great grades in college and gets a degree. But what's hilarious is that the welfare housing, kind of student housing, I'm not sure how it, the mm-hmm. government worked it, but it was right on the Colorado River. So the backyard was the nice. river. <laughs> so I just, I go nuts. And she's this unconditionally loving, like, beautiful mom, just the coolest. And I've got this little snoopy zebco and i'm out there just rocking bass and digging worms and swimming in the river all day and austin's changed it's still an incredible place but um at that time i think there was a hundred thousand people in that whole town and oh, now wow. there's over a million so you can imagine just yeah it was wide open and and so i'm swimming and fishing and and loving life and this has got this encouraging mom and um a few years in about time kindergarten she ends up marrying this english professor who's like a stanford phd grad and he adopts me he legally adopts me becomes my dad and he's from originally from the coast of oregon he's a steelheader and and fisherman and so is his father and they've got a fishing coast uh, home out there so as a kindergartner you know just the literature literature connection was amazing like he and i would talk about books from the get-go and but every summer we'd drive from austin out to the oregon coast and spend the summers out there so i just started fishing out there and and figured out how to i was skimboarding and that transferred into surfing and so before all the fishing riding really happened i was kind of um eventually by by just after college time i had the surf fever and Mm -hmm. and i just went around the world and i ended up getting a staff job i was one of the five guys at surfing magazine out of california so for at least 10 years i I mean i was still fishing but i just couldn't couldn't stop going around the globe like every penny i made it was trying to get to africa i was in africa alone for months and peru a bunch of times el salvador fiji just everywhere i could go that was off the grid and writing all those stories and i never wanted to um i just kept fishing would be my thing like i never wanted to write about it and finally i i was at a bookstore and i saw a copy of flyfish journal and i just thought wow this is yeah i'd written for surfers journal and fretboard journal the guitar magazine but you know Seeing Flyfish Journal, I thought, okay, I'll send these guys a story. And they published it right away and called and said, what the heck, man? He says, send more stuff. And I said, I'm happy to. You know, nobody, I feel like at that time, nothing was coming out of Texas. Mm-hmm. As far as a wild tree hugger hippie, long-haired bass fishing, you know, wild man in canoes. And they're just like, this is, this is different. But and they, and, and I think... I've had that benefit in life, just being coming from a different angle yeah. than the normal Montana trout guys, which is all, you know, it's valid and wonderful. So I just feel like between my mom and growing up in Austin and then getting that gift of an incredible father who, you know, even by fourth grade, we were talking about Chekhov stories and he was teaching me stuff. And so I became this great reader and writer and, it all kind of just made it just that was it, you know? Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's funny, you know, how people get put in your lives for a reason. And uh, 
I think that was a pretty big reason. Definitely an impactful one by far. Yeah, so, he said, my dad said it's been all downhill since raising <laughs> me. <laughs> Poor guy. I mean, I had like, I mean, I've, I've always played guitar since I was little and I've just had stacks of 100 watt marshals and guitars and he lived through that just cops <laughs> coming from noise complaints and you know he just it was it was fun times i wouldn't want to raise me i, I just can't imagine <laughs> he, he did an incredible job and we're really really close still that's awesome so so was he i mean was that your first um like when was the first time you picked up a fly rod so pretty young I mean, my grandfather, his father, so my new grandfather was tying flies and I'd sit by the thing, but it didn't, you know, I thought that's amazing, but it, it didn't happen until um, late teens. Mm-hmm. And then to me, there's a, whether it's music or surfing, you know, you're on this wave connecting with water and um, casting a fly rod to me, like, a lot of life is about that natural flow, yeah. like taking a good breath, not forcing things and whatever element you're in, learning to move with it in the right rhythm. And all of that just made sense to me. So, mm. man. so what were some, you know, growing up, like, I know you said you got into music really early. What was kind of the, um, you know, how did that happen? What did that come out of? I mean, boy, I grew up in, in Austin and yeah, really no that's what I'm trying to, yeah. TV and I just can't imagine most of us Texans, like we want to, you're either going to be around music at cool, like ice houses and stuff, or, you, you know, you're going to play it. So something about just the way, like the beat of a drum, the beat of a heart, like all that just drove me bananas and. I knew I was going to do it. So I just grabbed guitars from 12 on. and um, So many cool adventures. I ended up getting writing stories for these guitar magazines. And um, they knew, they figured out I was a boots on the ground kind of guy. Like, like I do with Patagonia now. They just, you turn me loose and I get to go on these cool trips. So I've had trips with like Black Crows and Almond Brothers and twisted sister in new york just weirdo like hilarious adventures that i you know or zizi or billy gibbons just yeah. comes over plays guitars and takes me out drinking and i mean when billy gibbons steps in your front yard it's like a cartoon like life becomes a cartoon and um and he's that cool he's that you know yeah. people are cool and i could really care less but boy that guy's just style <laughs> yeah i've always been fascinated with zz top and and uh and, and billy especially and stuff and uh yeah we got to we got to go watch him play the last time he was in houston on a solo tour um this is probably four years ago or something and i remember you know going to see zz top you know usually a big venue right and so you're sitting you know, I'm usually like sitting halfway in the back or in the back or whatever. And we go and see him. I think it was at, um, uh, whatever the place is right next to hard rock cafe and here in Houston, Bayou city music center or something like that. But we walk in and, and, uh, we just, we, we walked right up. I think we were like fourth or fifth row right there in front of him the whole night, man. 
just being able to see him play, even at his age today, like he sounds just as good as they did 30, 40 years ago. It's amazing. Yeah, I got a lot of stories about him that are not for the podcast. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> just out of respect to him, like before we grab a beer, fishing time, I'll tell you stuff. But that's All right, awesome. yeah, that's a deal. <laughs> and they're awesome. They're great stories. There's nothing that just rowdy and um there was even a time that my buddy was building him a lot of guitars this guy eddie dale mm-hmm. was in the hollisters and um started making these big text guitars and billy loved them and would order them up and time one day billy came over he comes up in this black cadillac escalade and he like one cool thing about him he looks like he's wearing this really incredible suit this black suit and he told us, hey, these are silk pajamas. I just had a tailor, like, tailor them so it looks like, you're wearing pajama suit? This funny stuff like that. But when he was coming in, a, a neighbor had this Rottweiler that charged him and bark and scared the heck out of him. And so he gets inside the house, and I'm playing guitar, and he says, ooh, River Horse, that sounds good. I said, yeah, man. And then he's like, what kind of dog is it your neighbor has? And I said, a Rottweiler. He gets real quiet and he goes, my God. <laughs> I said, that would have been a terrible day if Billy Gibbons gets mauled by a Rottweiler in the front yard and it's, it's your neighbor or something. Well, yeah, that would be a bad day. <laughs> oh, man, that's, that's, a, that's a good one there. So, yeah, love their music. Um been a, a, a lot of good memories listening to them over the years so for sure so yeah i was bass fishing a month ago up near um dallas kind of ben wheeler area and there's a little record store in that town of ben wheeler and i found a mint original vinyl copy of fandango nice and that, that's i mean for some reason live albums suck on vinyl i think mm. but you know, you flip that side over and it's all that. Heard it on the X and everything. I mean, man, so good. Yep. Heck yeah, man. So the music stuff, I just, you know, I still have tons of guitars and amps and tubes and old, you know, fuzz faces, Hendrix kind of stuff and acoustics and slide. And like, I just, I'm crazy for that stuff. (laughs) You mean, you can't, you take a piece of wood from a tree and you carve it out and then you take a piece of wire and attach it to it and put a little wire in the neck and you get those sounds like that noise. It's, it's just miraculous to even the whole concept of instruments and guitar. I mean, it's just awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's for sure. So do you still get uh, called in on by the neighbors still to this day playing too loud? Uh, <laughs> no. So, you know, the, this this neighbor like Houston and Heights and the neighbors are really cool. I'm in this hundred year old bungalow. It's from 1910. And when I crank it, um, some neighbors just will drink beer out on their porches. And, you know, it's, I mean, I'm not going to do it too late at night. We had a, that lights in the Heights they had, we were uh-huh. cranking on the porch and got a big crowd in front of the house and the cops came in on horseback with bullhorns trying to clear it all out in the front yard. That was probably the pinnacle of the, the problem, you know, the trouble with noise. But to me, all the, um, there's gotten to be some really incredible fancy homes in 
in this part of Houston. And, yeah, you know, they got all those yard service and leaf blowers. And I mean, I'd rather hear my guitar than a leaf blower. Mm-hmm. No doubt. <laughs> so shoot, man. Well, talking about guitars and all this stuff, I want to ask you, um, as you might have some more insight into this issue, but, um, man, and, and I don't know the whole deal behind this, but, um, I seen a show I started watching last year, um, up in the Pacific Northwest where they were talking about, you know, these people, um, basically poaching these quilted maple trees, you know, and selling them on the black market, mostly for the guitar industry. Have you heard much about that or know any, know anybody that's dealt with that? Mm -hmm. I'm still really connected with a lot of the, um, acoustic and builders and luthiers. And, um, so there was a government act called the sites act C-I-T-E-S. And, um, there's a lot of endangered wood, like Brazilian rosewoods. And there are certain things that just aren't sustainable. And, um, you know, there's been big crackdowns even at the Gibson factory on where they've gotten certain wood. But, you know, there's, they realize there's so many cool, sustainable ways to do it and different types of woods. But, yeah, that's out there. In any room, there's going to be mm-hmm. dishonest people, you know, pillaging the land trying to take a resource and make money and it's no different as you know it's kind of the same thing that i get to do with that patagonia ambassador job like we're yeah. out there not just celebrating wilderness but protecting it and um now having action elements that can help communities make change instead of just saying here's the situation you know we said this is how you make a difference this is how we move forward and get that platform in place for people. So same with these trees. And um, did you see the story, the Patagonia story we did about with the wardens and the shark? Yeah, I had it on my list to ask you about. Kind of, yeah, tell us about that experience for you. Well, do you know Graham Jones? Uh, I've met him, yes. Cool. So great friend of mine. And um, through that friendship and being a fishing buddy you know he was the colonel head of the, mm-hmm. the game wardens and so he's i said hey is there any you know home projects we can work on and he told me about all that and i said wow that's they've got up oh, these guys so um people that aren't allowed in, in our texas waters and our u.s waters were putting out long lines with hooks on them and um, up to even like they found some that were 10 miles long. So they, yeah. there's obviously bycatch and death on all these. Like you've got dolphins and endangered sea turtles and sharks and just heartbreaking how much fish they're taking. And one estimate said they might be taking as much as three times what the Gulf could even put out. You know, I don't know about all the data, but I remember reading that fact and mm-hmm. saying, hey, we, something's got to give here. So, the pro- problem with that is, <clears throat> you know, these, if it's cartel backed or, I mean, you're worried about guns and things, you're on the Rio Grande. So I talked to the Patagonia team and we had to have some meetings and they said, wow, this just sounds yeah. pretty heavy duty, but they fully 100% supported it. And it ended up being the, the only Patagonia story in history that's had guns involved in it, which is... <laughs> It's not something to be proud of, <laughs> right? But you know, we ended up um, 
those wardens, they've got those automatic weapons and are wearing flak jackets and get in these huge boat chases and catch these guys and um, busted a guy that had one guy had over 862 shark fins, just one guy that, that you know, Houston and Dallas and mm-hmm. these restaurants are taking these fins and selling them as fancy soup and um, they, that market's for all over the world. So it was a really heavy piece. It's called The Darkest Web. And you guys, your listeners can Google that, Patagonia, The Darkest Web, and read about it. And there's even a picture where I just couldn't even like, okay, so that's 862 sharks this one guy killed. And I just thought, that's our apex predator. So you know how when you yep. upset the, the balance of the food, the chain like that. So I had to, I put them out all on the floor. So the only way I'll really understand this is if I set every fin down on this floor and just like look at it. And some of the fins were three to four foot long and they must have been the most beautiful, majestic sharks. So mm-hmm. it was a terrible experience. And, you know, I really love hispanic culture and mexico and weather central america so it was it was a really conflicted piece for me because i want to protect these fish and and the gulf and then here's these you know these poverty-stricken fishermen that are being forced into this life of having to do this this illegal fishery and they're trying to put food on their table so the whole thing's just it just upset me a lot, like inside emotionally. I just, I thought about it and stayed up late at nights. How do I write this? How do I like, you know, celebrate that one world and that beautiful culture I like, but at the same time, I know this, we, we can't keep the Gulf going like that. So I yeah. think if you read the piece, you'll see me just conflicted and really admitting mm-hmm. to those emotions and just thinking, about all those things that I don't have the answers to, but I know if we take more fish that we can grow, then that's not going to work. Yeah. And it's, it's a very tough situation down there on the border. And I think with a lot of things in general, I think people are just so quick to jump to conclusions about somebody or a culture, you know, um, especially in this instance and, and not really think about, the other side of the story, you know, like what you're alluding to, you know, um, having to find something they can provide their family with, and they just may not know any different. They may not know, you know, what it could actually do down the line to these, to these fish and stuff. And, and, um, which is, I guess the reason it makes it so tough to, you know, to, I don't know what the right word is not to control, but just to, you know, to conserve our resources, you know, and to educate people and cultures about that, which, you know, goes right into, like you said, what you're doing at Patagonia and, and stuff. And um, how long have you been working with, um, with Patagonia as their ambassador? Um, It's been a few years now, but, you know, as I was doing these, adventures and writing and um just going all over the world patagonia really stepped up and started supporting these writer tours that we'd go on where we do events for charity and Mm -hmm. um town to town all over the country and at fly shops and every time we do an event 
they'd step up, they'd send us on the road and um, each place we stopped at, you know, we had a specific cause in that local community. So for years, um, they've been, you know, I would say supporting and, and helping me with what I do. And they've been cool with gear. And then like, as it went on, it just became clear. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I mean, you know, in our fly fishing world, which really isn't that big of a world, I mean, it covers the whole globe, but um, you think about fly fishing like, there's a, there's a lot of people that kind of know about it or do it a little bit, but our hardcore group of people that just live and breathe it, it's not that giant of a group. Um, you know, Alvin Dedo and over in Austin, he has all water guides and mm-hmm. he told me something, JT, something funny once. And I was like, man, you're right. He said, yeah, if you're, if you're kind of famous in fly fishing, that's, that's about as famous as a good neighborhood plumber. You know? <laughs> And I was like, no, it's true. Nobody knows, you know, whatever. And we were giggling, and he's with Yeti and all those great companies. And mm-hmm. But anyway, Patagonia just kept doing this support of the work. And I was getting opportunities from other companies that asked, do you want this and that? And I just thought, well, I, re- I don't really like what the other companies were doing. I didn't feel that they were walking the walk and protecting the earth and standing for the right things. And so all those years, I didn't accept anything from any company. And when I told Patagonia, hey, let's, I'd be like, I'm here to do this work for the earth. And I, I think we're a match. And they agreed. And so um, I didn't think it would, you know, I didn't know that it would work out. I mean, it's the honor of my life doing that work. And yeah. with that team, and I think there's like 18 guys in the world that even got to do it. So. For them to be as cool and open-minded as to get this wild Texan with hair to his ass that's just going going all up. I mean, that was I that was so cool of those guys to have such an open mind and say, No, we need you. We need you on this group and we're gonna support you hundred percent. And even those films that I've been making, they're just mm-hmm. they're just all in. It's been incredible, really powerful to have that support. Yeah. Yeah. Especially, um, you know, with the, the reach that they have across the globe and stuff, I mean, just getting that message out about all these things and stuff. And, um, I know, you know, the most recent one that you did on the boundary waters of Northern light up there, um, kind of talk about the process behind that. Um, you know, I know I've, I've read some other stuff, you know, that, that you've um, been on and, and, and wrote about um, meeting Tony check and, and how that relationship evolved into, into this documentary about the, the mining impacts and potentially up there. And which is just, I'm going to link that in the show notes as well. Cause I want people to see that, that film. Cool. So you're asking just to tell about that. Yeah. I mean, just kind of what, what all that 
is and just kind of, you know, how that all came together for you as far as the documentary part, you know, y'all meeting and, and, uh, I mean, typically in river horse fashion, like I just wanted to go up there and be in that wilderness. It's over a million acres of wilderness and it's at the Minnesota Canada border. So it's called the boundary waters. And, um, so I just planned a trip up there myself. I got all these maps and studied it. And I found like the last lake has a 500 foot cliff with the waterfall and it end up in Canada. And I thought, okay, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to paddle all those lakes, fish all those, just camp and sleep in the dirt and make it all the way to this waterfall. Like I, so I drove up from Texas and went for it and was gone for a few weeks and probably like a couple of weeks basically. And, um, when I came out, I was grabbing coffee and drying clothes out. Tony Chuck happened to see me, and he's a filmmaker that's done stuff for Red Bull and all these companies and Nat Geographic. And mm-hmm. but I, I, he said, "What the hell? Are you, you know, what, are, what are you doing?" I said, "Hey, man, River Horse. I just, I just had the best couple of weeks." And he's like, "Wow, I read your stuff. Well, this is so great to meet you. I fly fish." And I was like, "Oh, that's cool." And I can't believe this place. And I can't believe that's under threat of a mine from a billionaire that's a, a foreigner from Chile that has a track record of environmental disasters. And I was like, is this even real? Is this how is this happening that we would let somebody do that? Let alone if we were gonna mine something, which we do need, you know, rare earth minerals and resources right. for cell phones and batteries, and you know, we we need it, but that's just to me, we pick the places we do it. You don't do it in a sacred wilderness, so mm-hmm. that's a place. And you don't let some billionaire do it who's going to take it all and send it. He admitted he was going to send it to Russia and China, which in hindsight, looking at it even today, is like, wow, that's so bad. Yeah. So I just said, let's make the movie, but let's do the film. To me, you can never argue with beauty. And so... I said, well, let's just show how beautiful the place is. We don't need to, you know, put anybody down or be negative. Like, you follow me through that wilderness, and I'll write the words, and and we'll do it. So um, there's the two of us made it, and I think it it was so much work, but it was well-received and made it into all those big film festivals, and even uh, PBS television had it on there, so... I mean, as a little boy, we we didn't have cable, so I would watch PBS and yeah. Sesame Street. And just seeing the film we made on there, I guess I couldn't even. So proud of that work. And so many people, more people get to see it. And, um, recently, the current administration took away the leases that were there for the mine because the leases bypassed the, the Clean Water Act and um, they were illegal in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Even even telling that Chilean billionaire, "Oh yeah, here's a lease." So we're winning that one. There's still, you know, they still need to pass through that. They should never have leases there. And they're they're save the boundary waters. If you get on their website, that nonprofit, they'll walk you through how you can help and who to vote for. And I don't really care about the politics of Republican and Democrat. I really could care less there's great people on both sides and there's fringe dwellers on both sides and to me i care about what you what your actions are with wilderness and treating other humans and 
taking care of each other. So I, I just, the politics have, have nothing to do with that for me. It's just the issues and, and doing right by the earth. And to really move things forward now, especially with climate change, everybody needs to work together. There can't be this divisiveness. So did you, so you saw that film when it oh, came yeah. out? Yeah, yeah. As soon as, soon as y'all where it was available i watched it and my wife watched it and and uh, i shared it some and on facebook and stuff and it was, it was really powerful i mean like you said <clears throat> beauty speaks a million words just by looking at the pictures and and watching watching that and then um, um but there's some there's so many things like that across the world i mean people just don't know about you know and um i feel like you know, being working in the conservation world, it's just, it's, it's really hard to get people to pay attention to a lot of this stuff these days, just because everybody's so focused on social media and, and all this other. So you really got to be, I guess, um, come up with interesting ways to, to get stuff out to people. And have you found over the last 10 years any any difference i mean i know you're real active on like instagram and stuff and that's where you know i follow you a lot and what you got going on but has your uh outlets i guess changed any um i mean so that if i'm writing for flyfish journal or i mean the power of patagonia is people that one cleanest line piece could Tech, it could theoretically go out to six to 10 million people. Like, wow. I think, I think we're getting better and better at getting the word out to the right people. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't, I feel like there's some neat things going on, like Pebble Mine got shut down. And, you know, there's a lot of small victories and you take them where you can get them. And there's now more than ever, there's going to always be this work to do because we're just, everybody's trying to figure it out like for this to move forward at all but i don't feel i don't know i think i mean that instagram is hilarious because I, I haven't i only had it like patagonia three years ago they're like hey you gotta this is part of your contract <laughs> and i'm like oh man because i don't have facebook or any of that and yeah. i was like well okay and so and my my instagram still set to private so i mean mm -hmm. if i see somebody that I'll let anybody join that looks like they like fishing or guitars or they just seem like a good person. Like I'm fine. But even today it's still private. Like I blocked out so many people cause I'm like, Oh, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not good. I'm not good with that. I mean, I feel that's nice to have thousands of people on there, but which, which is on there, but even those people, I've just kind of like been such a snob about it and like, Oh, you like, you like bass, like you're in. <laughs> yeah, it's an easy, it's a no-brainer. Well, and when I would go on the Meat Eater show, I've been on there like eight times, that fly fishing podcast mm -hmm. that just that just canceled. Like every time I'd be on there, the Instagram would just go bananas. And I'd look at some of the guys, I'd kind of look at their, and I'm like, wow, this is a scary, I don't want to hang with this guy. And then others, I'd see really inspiring people. So it's funny yeah. what? shows you go on what what kind of people come out of the woodwork but i yeah. think we're doing great and i'm just so proud of patagonia kicking you know bleep with the way they're doing and walking the walk and mm -hmm. you know no i think with all this technology you know we got even more opportunity to do good 
Yeah. And, and man, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly, man, I never envisioned five years ago, I would even be doing a podcast. I mean, um, never thought I'd be running a youth camp, uh, you know, just, but it's an outlet. It's a way to reach people. Um, that's something I've become real passionate about and, and just interviewing really unique individuals that are doing good in the world and, and telling their stories through this medium. And, and it's fun because you actually like what we're doing. I mean, we're, we're just sitting here talking, you know, and it's not like you're in a rushed environment, like you're on a radio show or something like that. And I think that's kind of the coolest part about this, but, um, um, you know, we were talking earlier, um, about how kind of I got introduced to you through our mutual friend, Clay Schubert down here. And, and, uh, when we first started talking about you, he was like, man, you gotta, you gotta listen to some of these stories he's done on, on bent and stuff. And so I got to ask you about this. Um, the first one that he told me to listen to was, uh, about the one where you were on the, the golf course during the tournament. Oh yeah. <laughs> nah, that's a funny story. And it's fun to do that on tours and readings and, um, no, that's so, there's country clubs, you know, all over the golf courses have great fishing on them. And I had just found that super rich one where looking at Google maps and just started fishing it when they were closed on Monday for maintenance and ended up there on a day when it was, it was closed, but it turned out there was a golf tournament and I didn't, I didn't know. And I wandered way back to like the seventh pond and was catching a huge bass and above me is a green and all the national tv cameras and it's a pro big golf tournament and i get cops and they put me in the cart and take me through the whole crowd on tv and it was pretty pretty silly (laughs) he that guy you hear it in the reading but the course cops and the manager and you know they're like do you know who that is up there on the putting green and i said well whoever it is just saw me stick a sweet bass and they didn't like that <laughs> i said that's such a sad moment i don't think i should name the guy but i mean and <laughs> famous famous guy and he was trying to qualify for the u.s open and i don't play golf i think it's i'm, I'm not into it but yeah just i can see fish. that I think golf's better than somebody who sits on the couch and watches TV. Like I can see how you're outside and it's challenging and it's a passionate endeavor. So that's awesome. But for me, I was like, well, all right. So that was a funny story. That was a very funny story and uh, definitely need to go back and listen to that if you haven't. So um, that's cool. So, well, um, you know, I, I want to kind of get, uh, there's a lot of crazy stuff going on in this world right now. I mean, there's a lot of un, unsettling things happening overseas and, you know, with Ukraine and Russia and all, all this stuff and, 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 and the conservation world and all this, but kind of, how can people see hope for the future right now? Dealing with, with wildlife conservation and, and the habitat you know, all the habitat loss that we're suffering from right now. And, and I'm always telling people, you got to look for the light, you know, in this darkness and stuff, but kind of what's your thoughts on what's going on right now and, and giving a little bit of hope to people. I mean, hope is everything in life. So if you don't have that, what's the point of even being here? And 
I think there's so much good going on. There's a lot of challenges, but <clears throat> even like you think of here, how CCA saved the redfish and they just, the redfish are doing incredible here now. There's so many success stories. It doesn't mean there's not tons of work to do, but I don't get down. Um, here in the United States, how could you not be so grateful to be an American just when we got the golden ticket by being born here. That's why yeah. those awesome people, humans from all over the world, whether Mexico or Central America, everybody likes being here. Or a lot of people do around the world. They respect it. And we, ha we live like kings here. Mm -hmm. You know, even if, even if you're not wealthy or anything, like we have all this public land and wilderness and you can go down the street and, get some food or grocery store is just the life we live in here i just can't believe how grateful i am and how blessed we are so i see so much good i don't see the doom and gloom and i just when i see those things to work on it just fires me up and really gets me motivated so i'm not going to live my life like that like i think there's so much incredible people and beauty and intelligence and art that we have access to and culture that I just, life goes by so fast and super fragile. And you could get in a car wreck on, on especially on I-45. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you don't know if you have a, a few minutes left here in this world or, so I'm not going to live like that. Like things bother me, but I'm just like, well, let's, let's change this. And, well, it comes down to grassroots, like making a difference in your community locally. You know, this Patagonia stuff's incredible, but even their message is like, what are you doing in your home waters? And, right. and so that's why I got all this Texas stuff. So what you're doing with those kids in that camp, like that changes the world, that changes lives. So if everybody does a local grassroots stuff, to me, that's still like a world changing thing. Yep. 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 We're trying to make world changers out of them, you know, and, and I think one of the things we're always telling people is, you know, we're not, we're not doing that, the brigades thing to make these kids biologists, game wardens, you know, all these different wildlife and fisheries type aspect careers, but we're just wanting them to be well-educated and versed in conservation and that kind of thing, because, um, you know, we need people that are, educated in that that are that are lawyers and and judges and doctors and nurses and you know from every walk of life and um, i think it's important you know for that to happen and and so it's been a really good reason that's why we've stuck with it so long you know and volunteering with that program and and um, hopefully one hopefully one year we'll if you're in town when we're doing that in July, maybe you can sneak down there and, and uh, see it for an afternoon or something so we'd love to have no, you down I would, there i would so, love to Dissipate. I'm usually like when when it's summertime in Texas, I go as far north as I can. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We'll have to um zoom you in <laughs> virtually. So uh, no, but maybe it'll happen someday. So well, um, well man, I uh this has been a great conversation. I got um you know, I've talked to a couple people that's been fishing with you and stuff, and one common denominator it's come up a couple times is this uh chocolate cake that you're famous for uh um what's that all about okay so i love <laughs> i love baking cakes and 
I had a friend years ago who's it was going to be their birthday, and so I went to the Kroger local bakery grocery store, and I got a sheet cake. It was it couldn't it was twenty six bucks, and to me, like I can live for two weeks in the wilderness on twenty six bucks. You know what I mean? Like, and it looked this awful fluorescent colored cake, and it wasn't that moist. And after I bought that for my buddy's birthday, I said, "Boy, I'm gonna just figure this cake thing out." So. Started reading books and watching videos and had my theories. And little by little, I started to do these super moist, incredible cakes. And I'd figure out um, how to underbake them and have organic fresh creams and different, you know, spices in and uh, vanillas from Madagascar. So I love baking cakes for people. And, and uh, even this latest Patagonia, we just did a huge multicultural project and Andrew Burr, this photographer flew in and the editor and we're up in North Texas and I did three cakes that week and everybody was going bananas. So, I mean, what is, what's the point of life without cake? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Well, uh, wherever you're at this summer, um, my birthday is July in July too. So, uh, <laughs> maybe <laughs> I'll, uh, we'll get you to bake one. We'll send it back down here. So, <laughs> uh, that's a triple chocolate, but, um, I even do this lightly minted, like super moist triple chocolate. So it's got some mint in it. And that's, that's a really special cake too. The ticket thing. All right. Shoot. Well, well, I appreciate you being on, man, and, and uh, we'll we'll call it there. Um, thank you for what you do. Um, you're making such a huge impact, you know, on this earth and 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 uh, with people and stuff. And uh, I really look up to you for that and appreciate this time we had this evening. So um, keep up the good work, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on and and for celebrating the work. And it's not pretty. It's not. You know what people may think well you got to you're in the arctic circle or lapland and you know sometimes there's bears or there's sharks or you just it's just pretty raw out there and i love that stuff i live for it but i just feel that's the reason we're here like the world needs people to take care of each other even fish i mean aren't they just miracles like mm-hmm. how many different fish we have and that they're even there and like think of the colors of a brook trout or the turquoise on a red fish's tail. I'm just, I am so thankful and grateful to be living this life. So just getting to be on this podcast, I was just saying it's fantastic, man. I really appreciate you caring about the work and just says a lot about you. So I hope to see you out there. I know I'm hard to get a hold of. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I look forward when we get to meet in person. So yeah uh, maybe spend a day on the water so um, i'm clay's boat because he just cracks me up he and i are yin and yang and and we get along (laughs) we get along great like i'm like okay clay clay's clay and he understands me and they're just we're just opposites that really love each other yeah that guy is always there for anybody like he is he's incredible so i remember uh, five four forty five in the morning not even five i was down coast and some weird um gas tank my some fuel line went out of my skiff and i was down there and i was like i don't even know how to what is wrong with this thing and i texted clay and he was up and 
getting ready to he goes, oh, that's such and such. And I have this little part and I'll come down there and we'll change it. And I was like, are you kidding? And he drove <laughs> me in like off this road and he fixed this gas line. And I was like, dude, and he goes, yeah, have a good one. And he took off. And <laughs> Look at hero in the night, man. <laughs> I mean, that was crazy. What a, you know, he's, he's helped me repair canoes and just, we've had some good hangs, but you know, Clay, like he and I are night and day. So, yep. Yep. So, Hey, but that's, that's a, that's a good thing, man. Opposites attract, I guess. So it's good. He speaks real highly of you. I know sure values that time on the water together. So, but um, yeah, man, but thank you again so much river horse. This has been an awesome, awesome chat and uh, look forward to seeing what you do and for the rest of this year. Okay. You take care, brother. All right, man. All right, everybody. Well, thanks to uh, River Horse for being on this episode. And, you know, just want to thank everybody again for listening the last couple years. We've uh, had some incredible guests on the show and can't believe we've hit the 50 mark. Um, Just, you know, telling people stories and, and bringing this to you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing it, and please continue to do that. The biggest, the biggest way to help this podcast grow um, is just you know leaving review on iTunes and Spotify. Um, you know, if you can, if you want, leave us five stars and leave a comment so other people see it and want to listen to it as well. So, once again, thank you guys so much. I can't wait to see the list of people we've got for the next fifty episodes. And uh, just thank you, thank you, thank you. All right. See you on the next show. Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Through the Blackwater bayous and in the dark Louisiana night, floats a duck camp, alive with the sounds of swamp pop and the smells of Cajun cooking. Mississippi Delta in Venice to the Cajun prairies of the Southwest. Me and the Duck Camp Dinners crew will be hunting and eating it all. This is Duck Camp Dinner. Join me, Chef Jean-Paul Bourgeois, and the whole crew every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV.